Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. What you're about to hear is an interview with Deborah Dashmore about her book, Jewish New York, The Remarkable Story of a City and a People. This interview is sponsored by the Gotham Center in New York and the New Books Network. I hope you enjoy it. So let's go ahead and get started. So my first question to you was... um, where did you see, where do you see your book sitting within the broad history of New York City? So that's a great question. It's also a very big question because uh-huh. there are a lot of histories of New York City. And I think that the book, Jewish New York, intersects with the history of peoples of the city, especially okay. immigrants, but okay. also re- religious groups and racial groups. And in part, this is because Jews cut across these categories and their history comments on and complicates the history, for example, of religious change in the city, of racial conflict and also racial cooperation, of immigrant trajectories. So, you know, by following Jews, you're you're um, intersecting with these different histories. At the same time, um, I think Jewish New York relates to the profoundly ethnic character of the city, Mm -hmm. which is visible in its neighborhoods and industries, in its politics and culture. So in many ways, this is a story of specific sections of New York, the Lower East Side, Harlem in the early 20th century, Brooklyn neighborhoods like Brownsville, Williamsburg, Borough Park, but also Flatbush, Crown Heights, Coney Island, and then large swaths of the Bronx, as well as certain subsections of Queens. But there are whole other sections of New York that aren't talked about because that's not where Jews lived, right? Yeah. Um, it's also about the physical city because Jews built many of these neighborhoods where Jews ended up going to live, especially in the 20th century. So Mm -hmm. if you walk the Grand Concourse in the Bronx, most of those buildings are built by Jewish builders. Um, If you go to other sections of of the city, you know, you'll see some of that as well. If you go into the garment district in the, you know, the 20s and 30s or what used to be the garment district in Manhattan, that too was built by Jewish builders. So the physical city itself bears the imprint of uh, of Jews. Um, Beyond the construction industry, the book also looks about um, or deals with a number of the city's important industries. And among those, of course, is garment manufacturing. This was um, for many, many decades a Jewish industry. And by Jewish, I mean that Jews were the workers and the Mm -hmm. manufacturers. They were the buyers. Eventually, they were the designers. Um, They were the bankers and the lawyers and the accountants. I mean, you know, the whole network of people that make up um, an industry. 
the book also looks at uh, industries that grew out of um, specific Jewish religious needs. Yeah. So because you have kosher food requirements, you have Jews having a big impact on the food supply, the, the quantity of fish that is consumed, the kosher slaughtering that goes on within the city. Um, and even the effect of kosher food in restaurants so that you have meat restaurants, delicatessens, delis, um, and you have dairy restaurants, <laughs> which there are very few of the dairy ones left. But that separation of meat and milk was in part because of Jews. And when you have roughly 2 million Jews living in the city in the mid 20th century, they're going to have an impact on a whole variety of um, aspects of the economy there. The book also intersects with politics, again, in a very specific way, because yeah. Jews followed a certain kind of politics and their most important impact had to do with more radical politics, with the support Jews had for socialism, um, and then Jewish involvement in creating third party movements, right? The American Labor Party, the Liberal yeah. Party. Um, Jews are involved today in Working Families Party, right? So uh, that that's a very distinctive kind of political stream that's, you know, different from talking about Jews who become mayors of, of New York, you know, like Abe Beam and Ed Koch and, and uh, Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg. Um, and finally, I, I think that I tried as well to bring in elements of uh, culture, of where Jews help to shape New York culture. There, there's this moment mid-20th century where you start having the New York label placed on abstract art, on photography, on intellectuals. And in some ways, it's a shorthand for Jewish, mm -hmm. although not everybody, of course, is Jewish in it. But New York and Jewish have become sort of sufficiently combined. Um, the association is strong enough that you can use the New York label for um, for these cultural changes. And so I think in all of these ways, the, the book... Um, tries to engage with many aspects of uh, the histories of New York. Excellent. Um, I mean, so just just a follow up. Um, there's this sort of um, usual divide between ultra religious versus secular. How does that dynamic play out? Could you speak a bit in terms of does it play out, you know, within the city, within sort of the broad understanding ident identities of being Jewish and, you know, what are the impacts of that sort of historically? So one of the things that's different about the 21st century New York, which is uh -huh. a question you asked me a little later on, um, has to do with the incredible strength of Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jews in the city. Up really through the middle of the 20th century, um, most New York Jews were not necessarily observant. In fact, one of the things that the book talks about is the lack of religious observance that starts as early as the 19th century, the, the 1840s already. Jews are no longer observing the Sabbath. Jews are no longer going to synagogue. Jews, are, you know, they're not doing the things that um, would define them as Jews religiously. Yes. And that's the that's the secular Jews, and that 
remains dominant up through World War II. But after the Second World War, you start to get the the uh, among the refugees uh, Jews who didn't really want to leave Europe. They they left only because of of Nazism, okay. um, and they do their best to recreate the worlds that had existed in Europe. Obviously, it's different. You know, you have pietist Jews, Hasidic Jews, you know, which who lived in lots of different communities uh, in in Europe. And now suddenly, you know, this one's down the block from that one, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's Bobovar and there's Satmar and they're, they're, they're not far away physically from each other. And that yeah. leads actually to some conflict. But it also means that Brooklyn, which is where most of them ended up settling, as well as some on the Lower East Side, becomes very heavily um, Orthodox. And when Jews start leaving the city, especially in the 1970s, although some of the Hasidim do leave, they go to places like Muncie, right, and in Rockland County, a lot of them decide to stay. And that does change the character um, of who New York Jews are, so that people associate Chabad and Lubavitch, for example, certainly um, with New York, right? 770 mm -hmm. Eastern Parkway is, is the headquarters, right? Um, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so what was your experience writing this book? I know you, it, it's, you and you know, a number of other authors. What, right. What's your experience? <laughs> so uh, in a word, it was challenging, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was also rewarding. Um, you know, I've been researching and, and writing about New York really um, since my first book, which was called okay. um, At Home in America, and looked at second generation Jews, the children of immigrants um, in the years between World War One and World War Two. So writing this book, and I, I hear myself taking this deep breath, involved taking a deep breath and going back, you know, to the colonial period to the 19th century, especially the first half of the 19th century, that I was much less familiar with. Um, it also meant, you know, tiptoeing, as it were, as a historian into the 21st century, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, which usually we don't do uh, so much. But I, I must admit, I was really pleased with my decision on the last couple pages of the book to highlight two Brooklyn Jews. That is to say, Bernie Sanders and Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, as sort of, you know, a, a way of thinking about the impact of New York Jews nationally. Um, I think I call them Brooklyn Jews because their education and youth growing up in Brooklyn as uh, within Jewish families and a Jewish milieu really shaped them, it shaped their values, their commitments, their politics, their vision of a better America. So. Yeah, it was it was definitely um, challenging to to write the book, but ultimately um, rewarding. Okay, how did you deal with? Um, as I'm sure there were conflicts with other authors about what to write, about what certain ideas meant. Maybe maybe a couple of your colleagues were going one way, and you thought you should go a different way in terms of delivering manuscripts. Could you walk us through some, some of those sort of practical elements of, of writing with other people? 
So I think you're probably aware that uh, quite a few books on New York are jointly written. Um, and yeah. they're jointly written in part because people bring different expertise. So Gotham, right, is, is Burroughs and Wallace um, working together. Um, I jointly wrote a book myself um, with Howard Rock called Cityscapes, A History of New York and Images, um, which came out... <laughs> came out just at the time of the World Trade Center um, attack in oh, wow. 2001. Oh, wow. wow, is right. Yeah. Um, so there is there is a, a sort of uh, a recognition that the city is sufficiently complicated that you, you need you need partners um, and and you do need to argue. And this was a case um, where originally it was a three volume um, history. In fact, the three volumes still exist, of course. And I was the general editor, and we hammered out themes. It was the the three volumes were under the rubric of City of Promises, um, okay. and um, we debated what should and shouldn't go in them. And there were real there were real arguments in our meetings <laughs> of these different uh, authors because they did not agree with each other. Um, and my task was to try to come to some consensus, but also to recognize that in each of those three volumes, the authors had ultimately it was their volume. Right. When I did the synthesis, um, I ended up disagreeing with, with some of the authors. Um, mm -hmm. Usually it's a matter of emphasis. Um, they may have put much more emphasis on a certain topic that I felt didn't didn't deserve that attention um, or alternatively they didn't include enough uh, mm -hmm. on something that I felt did deserve attention and I'll give you one just one example um, uh, there's a chapter in the book um, uh, called making New York Jews which is a lot about culture and what it meant to become a New York Jew in the first half of the 20th century or so. And that was my idea. Um, it's not, you can't find it in the other books. You can find bits and pieces of some cultural discussion, but the notion of, of a, a sort of cultural process that makes a New York Jew recognizable, you know, as mm -hmm. a New York Jew, yeah. Um, is, is something that I did. And, you know, my, my other authors um, didn't necessarily subscribe to that argument. But, you know, I, I'm allowed also as a scholar to introduce my own, um, my own interpretations. So did you have to take a vote on that? Like when you had such a contentious issue or as a lead author, was it just sort of you know, you, you kind of had like a veto, sort of a veto vote in terms of, you know, situations like that. So we didn't take a vote. Um, I, I shared the manuscript um, with the other authors and okay. they, they commented on it. And I took into account their comments. Um, among the biggest challenges was the organization of the volume because it involved, if, if you can imagine, three volumes into one involves an awful lot of cuts. And the four parts of the uh, volume um, meant shrinking down 
um, a, a material to make room for other other uh, aspects of New York. And okay. there we did we did argue. But yes, as the lead author for this synthesis, I ultimately um, had the the final say, and of course the final responsibility. Yeah. Um, so we didn't actually vote, but um, I. I I, they critiqued what I wrote several times. We went through several rounds of it and I took very seriously uh, their critiques and, you know, made, made a lot of modifications. Excellent. I must have Thank written, I'll have to interrupt. I must have written around a dozen drafts. <laughs> that's, that's a good sign. That's a sign of a good quality manuscript. <laughs> yes. yes. So we've kind of answered question three, right? How does writing with other co-authors yeah. affect how you approach the city? Um, how did, you know, could we speak a little more in terms of other co-authors? How did you... How did you pick other co-authors? Was it, was it the, the, you know, the, the publisher who did that? Was it just an, they approached you and you decided who to approach? Or how did that sort of organically develop? So initially, organically, the publisher came to me um, in my capacity as um, the uh, head of the Academic Council of the American Jewish Historical Society. And this was, what, around 15 years ago. And she said, gee, I, I know why this happened. It was because of the, the um, 350th anniversary of the first Jews, you know, who come to New York City in 1654. Right? Mm -hmm. And she said, we don't have a history of Jews of New York, right? Isn't this a project that, you know, would be a good one to pursue? And I thought it was a great project. Um, and I went out and raised some money for it. We got a... a a substantial grant uh, that would allow the project to go forward. And then I approached specific people. Um, and, you know, some of the people um, I approached turned me down. I went to the person I had worked with before, Howard Rock, um, on Cityscapes. And he said, OK, you know, he was he was good. Um, Jeffrey Gurok, um, who wrote the, the book on the 20th century, um, he agreed uh, to do it also. And then um, Annie Polland um, also said yes, but she said yes. And shortly thereafter, she took a new job uh, at the Tenement Museum. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I don't really have time for all this. And she needed a partner. And so okay. I, I found her a partner with Danny Sawyer. I had asked Danny Sawyer earlier to do um, the 20th century. He didn't want to do the 20th century. But <laughs> to do the immigrant period, which is where he's done a lot of work, you know, um, uh, his, he booked on immigrant landsmanschaften and, uh, you know, edited volumes on uh, the garment industry and stuff. He was happy. And he was happy to, to work with Annie and she was happy to work with him. So they, that turned out to be a very good pairing. Um, okay. Uh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Huh? No, all I was going to say is that um, you know it, it it was it was an ongoing process. Um, I should add one other thing. There's a, there is a visual essay in here, and that was my idea. Um, oh, nice. And, yes, and I found I found um, you know the the art historian to uh, to do the visual essay, and in each of the three volumes, there's also a um, a visual essay. So that's different. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, 
the other question is, um, was your book received as you had expected? Yeah, I remember you wrote that to me, um, David. And I, I, that was a really hard question because I couldn't remember what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you work very hard on a book. And of course, you want people to read it. You want it to get reviewed. You want it to, you know, and it did get reviewed. And um, it, it was I think read. I think I would have loved it if it had been reviewed a little more widely, um, okay. you know. Uh, but I, I was, I was not disappointed. The the three volume set um, won a um, a National Jewish Book Award prize. Okay, um, which was congratulations. Really, nice. Yeah, yeah, it was very lovely, and I think well deserved. Uh, so this book, you know, um, occupied a, a somewhat different um, space um, than that. Yeah, yeah. As a as a synthetic study rather than you know one that that um, had a tremendous amount of new research behind it. Yeah. Do, do you have a sense of uh, who uses your book? Is it mainly in in the academic circles? Is it policymakers? Is it you know, historical writers, anthropologists, uh, you know, do you have a sense of that? So my sense is that um, it is used academically, uh -huh. um, it, both in courses on New York, um, right, when they want to have a section on, on Jews, yeah. um, and in, um, in courses that uh, look at um, you know, American Jews more, more generally. Um, but it's also used uh, very successfully in adult education classes. So there are people who are really interested in New York Jewish history and uh, not just, you know, in New York or in the New York suburbs, but in places, you know, like California and stuff like that. Um, and so it's been, it's been read there and it works well um, because of the way the, the chapters are relatively short, that um, you, can, you can read a section and then have good discussion and then, you know, sort of move through it. It's, it's almost, you know, um, the right number of chapters with 11 chapters for a, a, an entire course, as it were. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Uh, how has the Jewish experience changed over time? Okay. So one of the things that we mentioned about the, the um, impact of Orthodox Jews in the city yeah. is, a, is a mark of change. Um, let me start with some of the continuities, if I uh -huh. can, because uh -huh. there are sure. continuities as well. Um, there are still Jewish immigrants in the city. That's important. Not as many as there used to be, but... Um, it, it is a place you have Russian Jewish immigrants, you have uh, immigrants from um, Iran, you have immigrants um, from Israel, you have you have from South Africa, etc. You have Jewish immigrants in, in the city. Uh, that's an important continuity. You still have Jewish neighborhoods. Um, certain sections of the city have large clusters of Jews. You know, the Upper West Side still has a lot of Jews in it. Um, it's not just the Orthodox area. Riverdale still has a significant cluster of Jews in the Bronx. Um, uh, and so the, the neighborhood basis um, mm -hmm. is this continuity there. And you still sort of have Jewish industries. Now, these industries have changed. It's not the garment industry anymore. Mm -hmm. um, 
Um, but in construction, um, although it's no longer construction of, of housing as much as it is um, commercial construction, there's still a very heavy ethnic element in construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, because Jews have gone into um, finance, you have you know clusters there, law, and in academia where Jews were not. Uh, Jews were public school teachers throughout a, a good chunk of the 20th century, but they were not um, teachers uh, in colleges and, and universities, uh, which expanded very much in the latter quarter of the um, uh, of the 20th century, and, and then again today. And when you think about publishing, when you think about theater, when you think about right some of the other cultural industries, Jews are, are still very much there also in certain types of politics. Okay, so those are some of the continuities. Mm-hmm. What's changed? Um, by and large, you don't have um, a real Jewish working class anymore, right? This was a, a, New York was a working class town and Jews were very much a part of the working class. Uh, and that's not uh, as true. Jews are mostly middle class. Now, not all, of course, um, but that that piece of, um, uh, life has, has changed a lot. Um, the visibility uh, of religious Jews and the, their numbers has, has an important impact. The rise of Jewish parochial education, mm-hmm. there was virtually none. Jews all went to public schools uh, back in the day. They, and now you have Jews going to parochial schools or going to private schools which is very different. Um, Jews have ceased to be renters to the same extent that they used to be. And many of them own their own apartments, which is a a big change. Um, Jews didn't buy homes. Um, They put their money into their uh, businesses and didn't want to tie up their their funds in in housing and so they rented and therefore yeah. they moved around a lot right mm-hmm. um, but that has changed so there's there's mm-hmm. more stability um, you have a substantial aging population in the city um, and you have um, very well established Jewish philanthropies. Um, which get started relatively late in New York. They get started in the 20s and 30s, um, but they really solidify in the um, after World War II. And so there's a substantial um, philanthropic establishment um, in the city and the growth of nonprofits there. Um, I guess what else has changed is that Jews now, especially, that is to say, wealthy Jews, um, have access to leadership positions in um, cultural institutions that previously had been closed to them. Mm -hmm. So there's been a significant decline of that kind of anti-Semitism. You'll find Jews on the board of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, of the Museum of Modern Art, of... um, 
the Metropolitan Opera, of the Philharmonic. Well, Jews were always involved to a certain extent in the Philharmonic. Um, the Museum of Natural History, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, these were, were institutions, big, important institutions in the city that did not allow Jews to participate. Um, and that's a, that's a big change, yeah. And of course, you have Jews involved in uh, all aspects of politics, right? Um, yeah. Including, including the mayor, right? Running, running successfully for, uh, for mayor. Exactly. Um, and in terms of um, sort of important sort of milestones in the history of the city, um, is there any particular resonance or feeling amongst Jews about, say, 9-11 and the concentration of Jews and in the city? I mean, sort of within the broader nar narrative of an, an attack on the city, but is there also an element of that sort of Islamic Islamic militancy and targeting of the city and specifically some of the, um, what do I call it, conspiracy theories that have evolved around Jews and 9-11 and that attack? Could you speak a bit to that? So conspiracy theories about Jews are very old. Um, and they're among the continuities. They're, they're not new. Uh, you had conspiracy theories about Jews, you know, going back many centuries. What's what's powerful about the conspiracy theories about Jews is the ways in which they keep getting reinvented depending upon mm -hmm. what the issue is. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, the conspiracy theories around 9-11 were a repurposing of an old conspiracy trope. Um, when we were chatting before, and I mentioned Henry Ford. So Henry Ford yes. had conspiracy theories about Jews controlling the media and Jews, right, um, ruining baseball. And, you know, so, so he peddled a lot of those conspiracy theories in the 1920s. Um, and, you know, I think that with the pandemic at, at the moment, you also see elements of conspiracy theories uh, around that that involve Jews, especially the visible Jews um, who dress distinctively, that is to say Hasidim, um, as, you know, um, not being uh, good citizens and following, um, you know, orders uh, of um uh, social distancing and stuff. So I think that I think that 9/11 fits into a, a a longer trajectory um, that way. Yeah. And in terms of, would you consider this a continuity of, of the Jewish experience relative to, say, our political environment? We had two leading Jewish candidates in Saunders, and um, you know, in in in, in Saunders. Yes. So, yeah, we had, we had, you know, Jews as in, in, in Saunders and uh, Mayor Bloomberg. Is there a sense that their failure to make an impact or be successful to some extent might um, speak to their Jewishness and the, the country's inability yet to sort of cross that Rubicon of electing a Jew to, you know, the highest office in the land? That's a really good question, and it's a tough one. You know, um, the United States has yet to elect a woman to the highest office to the land, mm -hmm. um, and it has yet to elect a Jew, and only once did it elect a Catholic. 
Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, where to put it, you know, where to put the Jewish piece in, in that um, assembly of uh, difficulties of who can possibly get elected is, is a, a really interesting question. Clearly, there were big differences between um, Sanders and, and Bloomberg. Um, my, my son, who, who teaches in the New York City uh, public school system, he says, oh, I said, you know, the, this was before, obviously, people withdrew. He said, the election, the, the primary is going to come down to in New York between Brooklyn versus Manhattan. Right? <laughs> right? And representing Brooklyn. Interesting, and, yeah, yes, and yes. Bloomberg representing Manhattan. Yes. Uh, Obviously, it didn't happen. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I've, I've also often debated with my friends what would happen first. You know, are we going to first have a woman as president before we get a Jew as president? I, yeah, yeah. Hard to know. Yeah, I mean, we had an African American as president, which was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. And how have Jews confronted contemporary challenges such as the rise of anti-Semitism and right-wing extremism perpetuated by sort of this, the Trump and the Trump era and Trump politics? Yeah. So I think Jews in New York had this incredible march, um, a solidarity march, um, a number of months ago across the Brooklyn Bridge, uh-huh. uh, which brought together all different types of Jews, secular, religious, you know, Jews with very different politics um, in opposition to anti-Semitism. At the same time, there are significant divisions among Jews um, about, even about what constitutes anti-Semitism. So these Mm -hmm. debates over whether criticism of Israel constitutes anti-Semitism, and if so, what kind of criticism of Israel constitutes anti-Semitism is something that divides Jews rather than uniting them. There's there's not a um, uh, a, a clear consensus on what constitutes anti-Semitism um, and how to even respond. Let's say to um, oh that the the ruling in the um, of the administration regarding uh, federal funds, right, going for certain kinds of speech in college campuses. I, you know, the, there's not certainly no unanimity within mm-hmm. with, within American Jews about um, what constitutes anti-Semitism, what anti-Semitism is really worth fighting, um, and what one should pay attention to. Um, Certainly, most Jews in New York, with the exception, I would say, of the um, ultra-Orthodox, see the anti-Semitism on the right as the most important and dangerous forms of anti-Semitism. Um, that is is where one should put one's energy to oppose it. Um, but there are you know, Republican Jews and, and uh, other Jews who say, no, 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 we have to worry about the anti-Semitism of the left. Um, so, you know, there's uh, real differences. Yeah. Uh, and in some ways, this goes back to arguments Jews had with each other in the 1930s. There was no unanimity about how to face anti-Semitism of Germany and Nazism. 
Um, it goes back to debates in the 1950s, also when you had the anti-communist um, mm-hmm. hysteria in the U.S. Yeah, Jews yeah. Did not agree as to what, which groups were the ones they really should be concerned about. You know, should they be mm-hmm. concerned about communists? Or should they be concerned about you know, you know the the white citizens councils and the you know the segregationists and stuff. Uh, so you know, I think we're a little bit back into that. Um, kind of moment when there there really isn't a, a consensus um, among American Jews. Yeah. So, so sort, of, sort of thinking of the history of the city and, and Jews in New York as, um, say, Jews looking in into the city and into themselves, uh, both individually and as a sort of a, a collective. But, the, you know, there's the elef- elephant in the room within the community of, of Israel. Um, and say the administration's policy towards Israel. Could you speak a bit to that in terms of the city and its population and how they see um, Israel not only shaping their identity as Jews, but sort of within sort of a broader mystique of the city and Jewishness? So New York, with its two million Jews in, in 1948, when Israel was established, had yeah. more Jews than the state did. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was a kind of diasporic alternative, um, as it were. You could live a very Jewish life in New York as a secular Jew or as a religious Jew or anything in between um, at that time. You had a lot of different choices. And indeed, one of the things that characterized the city was the multiple ways of being Jewish in the city. Mm-hmm. Lots of different ways to be Jewish. Uh, lots of different languages spoken: Yiddish, Hebrew, German, etc. Um, if you fast forward it now to the 21st century, um, there are around a million Jews in, in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there are far more Jews uh, living in Israel. And the city doesn't offer the same kind of um, uh, diasporic challenge to uh, Israel that it certainly did when when the state was established, uh. Uh, right? But at the same time, um, on a lower key, um, even as New York Jews um, support Israel or support this group in Israel or that group in Israel, you know, and there's there's a variety based on their politics. There's also a recognition that they're living in a place that provides um, a, a measure of comfort and not a feeling of being a minority, which is also what you get when you're in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't feel, Jews in New York don't feel like such a minority because there's no majority. And that's been true of the city for since the 19th century, the absence of a majority population. And that's a, a very, very interesting kind of American experiment that doesn't exist mm-hmm. in many other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It's a, it's an alternative. It's there's no question. It's a diasporic alternative to Israel itself. Um, even as there are people who really um, 
embrace uh, Israel and what it offers in terms of the opportunities for Jews to, um, Israeli Jews to uh, rule their own lives, to, you know, to, to make decisions about what kind of country they, they want to live in, uh, what kind of country they, they want it to be, uh, rather than recognizing, as you, you must in New York, that you, you actually are a minority in terms of the United States, um, even as you don't feel like a minority in, in New York itself. Um, I'm not sure I've answered your okay. question. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, what are the stories of Jewish people in New York? Would you like to work on in the future? Would you see a like a second volume of this book? Um, is there something you missed in the book that you'd like to work on? Are there evolving themes that you see in the city that you'd like to write on? You know, in the future. So one of the things I want to work on, and I am going to work on because I've started already, um, is a book, it's tentatively called Walkers in the City, and it's about New York Jewish street photographers and the ways in which they come to picture the city and how their images of the city gradually come to give us an understanding of what it was like to to live in New York in the 40s and 50s and 60s um, and so yeah I'm I'm working on on that at the moment I really I've gotten very much hooked on photographers and <laughs> and their images and the such great ways of of picturing the city and you know what they choose to take pictures of you know pictures of mm -hmm. Coney Island and um pictures of of um, people just hanging out you know waiting the whole fact I mean th that's the part that that's not happening of course in New York anymore nobody's hanging out on the street the way people hung out on the street and just you know watch things going on what was yeah. happening yeah. Um, I, I have a, and the way conversely people performed on the street, you know, you got dressed up and, mm -hmm. you know, you walked in a certain way and, you know, you, you were, you were performing for whoever happened to, to look at you as it were, but, um, <laughs> as, you, as you made your way <laughs> through the city. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on now. Looking awesome. at these photographs. Yeah, they're no, great. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Deborah. Is there anything before we conclude that you'd like to add or um, to any of the questions we've talked about? Anything you, you know, anything you'd like to add? I would only say that, first of all, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Same way. here. And yeah. uh, that I think it's great that Gotham is doing this. I, I only regret that I'm so far away that I can't attend a lot of the, the Gotham events because okay. uh, there was a point in time when I started working on New York where everyone who was doing urban history was doing a, a city other than this New York, which uh. is very interesting. And um, and now it's not the case. Now people tackle, you know, the big tough one of, of New York City. And I think I think that's great. And Gotham is, you know, the Gotham Center is part of it. So that's really good. Awesome, Deborah. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And please stay in touch if you're ever in the city post-COVID. Hopefully we'd like to invite you over and, okay. you know, use your expertise. And, um, you know, once we go through 
you know, edit, you know, going through editing and yeah. all the yeah. dynamics of the uh, recording, I'd be glad to send you a link and, you yeah. know, you could okay. also have it for your record. I really appreciate it. And thank you again so much for your time. Well, thank you. And I'm glad you enjoyed reading the book as well. That's great. Excellent. And stay safe and healthy. It's, it's yes. a tough one. We need you. Yeah, thanks. All okay, right. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Okay, bye.